Profanity Nation. Yeah, it's the new era of man for some old school fans with a new school brand. We got money on the mic with the plan in hand. And step back to his left, they go hand in hand. And to the right, we got Simster, he putting it down. It's the Profanity Nation, we running the town. Yeah, it's the Profanity Nation. Profanity Nation. Hey, welcome to the show. Welcome to the Profanity Nation podcast. We are the voice of the professional fan. How are you all doing? We are here tonight with a great guest. We have, of course, we have Marco Nunez, who's going to do our five-minute injury Mm wrap-up. And we have Jake Fisher just waiting in the background right now, author of an incredible book that we're going to get to. Uh, That's, of course, why you're all here and joining us tonight. But first, let me introduce my co-host, as always, Money Mike. How you doing? I'm great. No sons in four. No sons in four. Yeah, that didn't work. That's okay though. He yeah. made his statement anyway. Right. Yeah. Hey, they do. He's already winning though. He he's going doing the autograph signings now. Yeah, he's winner. So, yeah, he's hey. getting pictures. He's a celebrity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stat Pat, how you feeling tonight? I'm doing good, man. You know, sunny day out. Sunny you know? day hot. So yeah, really hot, right? Really hot. <laughs> yeah. But you know, we're good. Like you, you said, mean- like Mike said, like. No sons of four, so I like that because we got to kill that. That's that was like overplayed. <laughs> so he got his fifteen minutes of fame. So we're over that. Let's, let's you know what? Over. I love that though. I love it. he deserved I, it. Yeah, yeah, hey man, he, he got more. He tw- didn't. He didn't ask for that. Most of nah. the time in this world, when things like that happen, it's a setup. That was not a setup, no. at least as far as we know. And it he was, just he kicked it out and did hit it out of the park. It was literally like, literally like like a meme. So it was like <laughs> it a, like a, it was like all of a sudden it's like oh shit I got this like sons and four thing like okay you know you know what's so crazy that dude has eighty four thousand followers. I told you, you. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. you know but the, and that's what, and you know what's funny about that like we're in a day and age where shit like we're day and age where like we is like is quantified by your followers on Twitter or Instagram. Right. Is, you know, is he real? Media. Oh well, he has eighty four thousand. Yeah, your social media so. presence. Like, oh man, look at his thing. He got a hundred thousand followers. Like, exactly. Oh god, he's he must be something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right, guys. Well, let's get to it. Of course. Okay, so we're gonna go ahead and bring Marco in, and then right after that, we're gonna bring in Jake Fisher. Uh, Jake, we see you back there, so please just hold tight for us. We'll be right there. Uh, let's go ahead and bring Marco in. Marco, how are you doing today? Hey. Well, how's everybody doing today? Very yep, good. Man, good all right, man. All of our um, extremities are good. Feeling good. No injuries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do everything, huh? Two hands, two arms. Everything. Yeah, that's we, right. we actually that's have right. all our fingers after July 4th, which yeah. is a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Spending time with our families. You, you wouldn't have been able to fit that, though. Shout, <laughs> out to, shout out to JPP, if y'all don't y'all know who yeah, I'm talking about. John Pierre, remember that. Exactly. Right. So, um, Go ahead, Money Mike, if you'd like to start with Marco. So, yeah, so, you know, we, we're just going over the injuries. Uh, not, nothing really major this year. I mean, this week. Um, we know that uh, Sarek got the ACL. We know what that means. Yep. He's, out, he's out for the <laughs> – he's not coming back, right? Next <laughs> Um And we've gone over that before. But what I wanted to ask you about was uh, Clay Thompson. You know, he tore his Achilles, um, and they're saying that he won't be ready for the start of next season, which, you know, I, I thought Achilles took, what, six to eight months and – Looks like he's going longer than that. Do we do we have any idea why that might be? Correct. Well, here's the thing about it is that, and, and, and that's the one thing that um, whenever I go in and talk, do lectures and presentations, I try to avoid from uh, from putting timelines. I'm not a huge fan of timelines because, just like you mentioned, if you put a timeline to an injury, then people start questioning. Okay, well, why is he he or she taking forever? Type of thing, or hey, they did a great job. They're coming back within four, you know, four months. Type of thing. It's all about milestones. The other thing you've got to consider is that this is not his first major injury. There's this is his secondary major injury. So a lot of times the body's going to start compensating one way or another type of thing. 
Um, so it, it, it's not just your normal, this is not his first injury. He's also kind of still recuperating technically from the next one. Now, a lot of athletes, whenever I work with athletes and they have like an ACL injury, you'll be surprised that not until their second or third year from coming back from, from an injury that they'll tell me, hey, you know what, Marco, I actually feel 100% now. It, it's a long process. It's not like, hey, eight months, boom, you're out there, you're ready to roll type of thing. And then uh, when, when you're recovering from a major injury and you just make it back and then have another injury, that has to slow down the first injury recovery because you really can't train full speed, right? Correct. 100%. That's what I'm saying. So it's, it's affecting. So not only this injury is affecting what he was recovering from the last one, uh, it's, it's actually affecting it at the same time. So there's, they're, they're probably still treating and rehabbing the, the, the last one. And they're trying to kind of do this, do this one at the same time. And here's the thing also is that it also probably slowed down some of his rehab from, from the last one as far as, and what I say rehab is, is I mean, for him to come back to like a hundred percent, so to speak type of thing. Um, it does take some time, you know, just because you're out there on the court or on the field at, after eight weeks or 10 weeks of an ACL injury doesn't mean you're 100%. You're still having some little maybe some soreness here. You might have a little bit of swelling here. You still don't feel like, hey, I'm ready to roll type of thing. Okay. All right. Well, I mean, <laughs> I know you can't put that timeline, but what, what do you think about all-star break or something like that or? I just want to know. I just want to know what position we gonna be in. Something, man. Well, well, give me something. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. This is my strategy, right? So we know Uh, that they're a really good team, and and I like Clay Thompson as a player, but I uh don't want him back because I'm trying to get us in the position to be. (laughs) You want to have a a 20 game lead on that before he gets back. How big is the jump? How big is the, uh, the head start? Yeah, that's what, that's what I want to know. Man, that's what you want to do. You want a handicap? Like how much of a handicap? Yeah, like, right? Yeah, because once once they once he rehabs to get the Achilles full strength, now he has to get back in basketball shape, which could Correct. take additional what another month or so. Tell me he ain't gonna be back until like halfway through the season. You saying like you wild? To get back into shape, it varies from from athlete from, from athlete to athlete. But you're looking anywhere between three to six weeks. Some something that sort for the for an athlete to kind of cool. get back to like full full shape. Cool. Um, cool. Granted, these are professional athletes. Um, their bodies and their metabolism, their muscles are, are designed a little bit different. So um, once they pick it up, they'll kind of get a lot quicker than you know the average Joe like us. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> but, uh, I, I have a question as well. Um, one more for Clay, and then we'll move on to the uh, finals teams here. Uh, the back-to-back injuries, are they just just happen, or do you look at that and say, uh-oh, things are starting to break down? That's a toss-up. It's, it's, it's kind of tough. I, I, I understand what, kind of what you're saying. Is, is this going to lead to a third injury type, type of thing? Or here's a question. It, it may not lead to, to a major injury, but can it lead to some kind of chronic injury, meaning can he develop some kind of like Achilles tendonitis, patella tendonitis, some kind of compensation, compensatory um, issue? That is probably more of a possibility than kind of having a, a major injury. And here's the other thing also. Um, they may be taking their time a little more with, with the secondary because these aren't back-to-back injuries. Um, and he, he's either maybe at a little bit of a high risk for a third major injury, so they don't want to rush him back. Um, and they want to make sure that the progression goes accordingly to the plan and he's able to kind of return to play. So there would be no issues. Excellent. Makes a lot of sense. Um, lastly, we'll let you finish off on this. And I think I already know your opinion, but I'm going to give you a chance to say it. Um, you know, the the uh, the talking points that are out there, are the, the headlines are the Suns are really lucky to be in this position. They the, Every team they hit, the Stars were injured. And if they win it, they're really lucky. Um, we've been in this position. The Lakers have been here before and they've played teams that are hobbled. And we've played hobbled and lost games because we didn't have a player. It just is how it is, right? 
That's, I mean, you're, you're former head athletic trainer for the Lakers, but it just is what it is. You play the team in front of you. It's all you can do. Correct. That's all you can do. You just play the team that's in front of you. You play whoever the opponents they have. You play whoever the players they have on the roster and you just kind of go at it. But here, here's the funny thing about it. You know, there's some teams where you go in there and mentally like, oh, you know, so-and-so's out, so-and-so's out, so-and-so's out, so-and-so's out. We're good. We should be fine. And then you tend to kind of relax and then they come <laughs> in, they whoop you type yep. of thing, which it does happen at the same time. Um, so, you know, there's been times that I've been in the locker room and if I hear a rumor or something that, you know, player may not be, may be out, I may tell the head coach and I know the head coach would sometimes kind of debate whether do I want to tell these guys that this player's out before they get out there? Cause otherwise they're like, oh, okay, we can kind of relax a little bit. Um, but yeah, so that happens at the same time. Absolutely. Marco, thank you so much for joining us. Please, as always, yes, let everybody know how they can keep up to date with you because you are putting out some awesome videos online and some social media stuff. So, again, let everybody know how they can keep up to date with you, please. Sure. If you guys have any questions regarding sports medicine, sports medicine recovery, um, you guys are welcome to DM me on my Instagram at Marco A. Nunez17. Or you guys can go to our my YouTube channel at Evolve Athletic Performance, where I put up uh, sports fitness tips of the week every single week. This week, we're going to be talking about shin splints, how to dress them, how to treat them, and uh, how to take care of them. Thank you so nice. much, Marco. We'll see you next week. Have a great one. Thank you very much. Take care. Take care. All right, All right Marco. Talk All to right. you. So good info. I mean, I knew the, the answer that he was going to go ahead and uh, throw out about the Suns. I mean, what else is he going to say? But, I mean, that is the headline. Everyone's like, ah, they're, they're I mean, so lucky. I mean, you know what's funny, though, when you talk about those headlines, the team that wins never want to give back those wins. No, I mean, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like, so yeah. it's like, I mean, I mean, we as Laker fans have dealt with it. I mean, Injuries like, in the championship, like you know, and we deal with them in the champ. We lose championships because of injuries, not yeah. because of playoffs. It's like no. championships. So, if anything, I mean, you just win some, you lose some, and you just gotta just take it with what it is. But yeah, they are getting lucky with these injuries. So this is what I love because I have a final word, and you guys cannot dispute that. Yeah, because we got Jay coming yeah. on. I think if we would have been healthy, the Bulls would have had five championships instead of six. Oh, okay. Well, there's no way to go back and prove that. So we'll we'll see. Oh, you talking about that 91. 91. Oh, okay. 91. That's right. what I'm saying. All right. and, and now we got Jake coming on. We'll so see what Jake says about that at some point. Let's go ahead. Let's go ahead. And, okay. And let, no. let, me, let me introduce our guest because he deserves an introduction. Okay. So uh, we have on coming on here, we have Jake Fisher. He is a NBA writer. Uh, he has uh, followed the 76ers for some time, and that's how he got a lot of his information. Uh, but he is the author of a book, Built to Lose, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. And we all watch that era very closely because, mm -hmm. of we're mm -hmm. talking about the Sixers. Let's bring him in. Uh, Jake, how are you doing? Thank you so much. There, 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 there it is. There it is. There it is. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh oh, can barely hear you. Are you there? Yeah, you're. Yeah. Oh, wait, hard to hear you a little bit, Jake. One more time. Want to talk a little bit more? Can you hear us, Jake? Oh, I mean, he's going to work on his mic a little bit. Let's can can you hear us, Jake? Dang. You got us, Jake. I can't hear you guys. Okay. You can't hear. Do you have okay? You want to try and log back in? I guess if you can't hear us, how's that gonna go? Right. Try, <laughs> try, to, try, try to go out. Look, look, I'm try like, to go out go and out, then come back, come back in. in. There you, there you go. go. <laughs> All right. So let's see. Okay. Well, anyways, we'll, we'll hey, get hey, him back. It's a reality on. show right now. It right? happens. This is live. So live, um, live. But, uh, live. Uh, while he's there, we can introduce him. Okay. So uh, he did uh, write this book. He was close with the 76ers and he was actually 
um, in tune and got all the information, all the background information with incredible detail. Yeah. This book is written with incredible detail as to the strategies, the behind the scenes, what was going on with Sam Hinkie from uh, the 76ers, what went on with Daryl Morey in the Houston Rockets and so forth. Hopefully he'll be back soon because he's got some amazing information there. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, I mean, we can just talk about right now our feelings, at least on tanking. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, the Lakers don't believe in that. Right. But, but see, see, here's the thing, though. It's very interesting because when you, when you talk about teams taking, they're, they're not really going into the game to actually lose the game. So it has to be more about GMs kind of putting a team together. That's trading the players that are good. That's not competitive in mm-hmm. order to, mm-hmm. you know, possibly be able to get, it, be able to get players that are – Good. And then here's a big thing. Anthony Bennett was a um, <laughs> number one draft pick and probably no one's ever heard of him because he was that bad. So. Well, number one draft <laughs> picks aren't always the best pick that we know. Um, but I think that everybody's going to be in agreement that that tanking or that strategy of tanking is not good for the game. Certainly not good for, we see Jake trying to get back in. He'll be here soon guys. Uh, Certainly not good for fans and not good for the entertainment factor. Um, I could not imagine as a season ticket holder, Lakers, South Bay going to games, knowing that they have no intention on winning anything. Now, of course we're spoiled, but I don't care. I don't care what team I'm following. I want to know they're trying to win. I want to know that GM has its best art, you know, the team's best interest, not five years from now, this year and next year. But we know what what was interesting about that. The fans bought into the process, right? I mean, they, they were saying trust the process. So (laughs) they eventually didn't have a choice. Right. Right. Is that what it is? That's what I'd love to ask Jake. I know he's still waiting there. Uh, Let's see here. He's still not connected. They will need to connect their mic cam before. Okay. So um, guys, thanks for sticking around and thanks for holding tight. Jake will be with us. You saw us here. He's just having a few uh, technical, technical difficulties. Um, So, um, you know, uh, one thing in the book that, that, that we read as, as I scrolled through it was that, you know, Hinky wasn't, at all transparent in the beginning with his plan. In fact, he kept it very secretive, even from 76ers staffers. They did not know. Right. And, uh, you know, leading up to his taking the rain. Here we go. Let's see if he's here. Let's see. There you go. Are you there, Jake? I got you guys. Sorry. There we go. Oh, there we go. Yeah, there there go. There there is. Is. There's, There's a book. book. Built to lose. All right. Built now we're back. Now we're back. Perfect. No problem. We held it down. We're basically uh, just telling our listeners a little bit about the book and so forth. So I'll just run it down really quick again. Uh, The book is Built to Lose, um, How the NBA's Tanking Era Changed the League Forever. And I'd just like to state as I was uh, skimming through the book, and I know you've done tons of interviews and everything, but I mean, the incredible amount of detail uh, of the stories and everything that goes into it. um, How did you get, I mean, I mean, the stories that you have were behind closed doors that only maybe two people, three people were in that room. How were you able to get this information? Yeah. Thank you for that. And honestly, you know, that's been the most rewarding uh, feedback I've gotten from a lot of people about, about the book. I mean, I'm a reporter. That's kind of been my calling card throughout my career. And I, I, I like to get on the phone with people and face to face and get real stories like you mentioned. And, you know, to do that, there's a scene in the book, for example, where the Phoenix Suns, are on the bus idling in i forget what the arena was called if it's talking stick arena or whatever it was back then right <laughs> mine 
and they rally the team together to huddle, say, you know, this is our group, and then all of a sudden six more players get traded. You know, if you call 15 guys on the team or reach out to 15 guys on the team and 10 of them answer and five of them remember it, you, you get a pretty good amount of detail, you know. And sure. I talk to over 300 people from the book, players, agents, coaches, wow. executives. And I, I've been doing this for – Eight years now, so it, it, I, I was very lucky and fortunate that the network came through, and we're all and and more people too were, were open to to talking for this thing. Did you get any pushback when you decided to write this book? Did anyone not want this book written, or any of the details you were getting a hold of? Um, I definitely say some some members of Sixers ownership um are, are they they view the Sam Hinkie process era sensitively. Um, there there's still. It's a bit of a faux pas to pay too much homage to Sam within, you know, the walls of that organization. And, and it's definitely rubbed some people the wrong way at the top of that org chart that Joel Embiid nicknames him the process and still gives Sam Hinkie shout outs. So that, that was definitely some type of, uh, you know, I don't know, feathers that were ruffled, if you will. Yeah, so I, I was talking about why you were, you know, trying to connect back on. It seems like the at some point the fans started embracing the process once they realized that was happening. Um, I'm a Laker fan. I can't embrace that at all. So how how was it in Philadelphia? Uh, you were there when they started embracing it. Like, were people really going to the games? Like, hey, yeah, we're gonna lose, and we're okay with that. Like, what's the yeah. what was their mentality? Well. You know, there's a general life motto I like to go by where, you know, if you have no expectations, not not low expectations, if you have literally zero expectations, <laughs> anything that happens will be entertaining, whatever, right? So I think that was a, a mindset on the court going to the game, right? There was no expectation to win. So if your seventh player who was a second-round pick one year who might hit and might become, you know, the next Draymond Green – has a two-month stretch where he looks amazing. And that that was enough to get these the, the fan base excited. I, I think you know, look at like Orlando right now or Chicago, like these teams that either haven't made the playoffs in a while or haven't really had playoff success. Like Philly for a decade after making the finals in L1 pretty much was a first round exit, or you know, they had that one magical year, magical in quotes, where <laughs> they they took the Celtics to game seven in the Eastern Conference semifinals. But that was when Derek Rose towards ACL and you know, that Celtics team got rebuilt the same night that Sam Hankey traded Drew holiday to new Orleans. Danny Ainge traded KG and Paul Pierce to Brooklyn. So that team was on its last legs too. I think the Philly fan base, they realized if you're just, if you're just in the mid tier, if you're just running on that treadmill of mediocrity in, in the NBA, you can't really compete for the title. You're pretty much a guaranteed first round out and you're not falling down far enough in the, in the standings and then high enough in the lottery to get a difference maker type player. So I think they were on board with it. You, you have players. Uh, there's one currently that's in that situation being Dame Lillard. Uh, Portland is perennial, just middle of the pack team uh, blown out in the first round usually. So um, you know, players also deal with that on that side as well. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, of course, everyone's saying Sam Hinkie, uh, you know, was came in there and the architect of this. But, I mean, he didn't invent tanking. Right. He just kind of perfected the strategy, right, or took it to a new level. Is that how it's viewed? Yeah, I think, you know, it's a pretty interesting through line in NBA history where in 1984, the Houston Rockets, people may remember, 
They lost 16 of their last 21 games to get into, at the time, it was a coin flip between the worst team in the East and the worst team in the West to decide the number one pick. And 1984 was Hakeem Olajuwon, right? So that right. was the first year that David Stern came into power. And he very the very next year, he created the lottery, which was the 1985 frozen envelope of Patrick Ewing. Flash forward 30 years. As Adam Silver first takes over the in the NBA, it's 2013. It's when the Sixers hire Sam Hinkie, and Sam Hinkie's process ultimately changed the lottery in 20 in 2017. So I thought that I think that's pretty fascinating. And you know, I, I, I to, to say that to your point, like tanking's gone on forever. Obviously, you know, the Spurs did it for Duncan, and the Celtics were trying back in 07 to get Greg Oden. Mm-hmm. The, the Trailblazers, you just mentioned, you know, that they they got the number one two pick, number two pick in that draft, obviously. Uh, or no, or number one pick in that draft, obviously. So you know, mm-hmm. you might say as recent as as uh, Zion. Boy, wouldn't they look good with uh, Kevin Durant right now? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, I was going to say something, um, Jake. So um, we were talking about like just teams tanking, and I was just thinking about like what is that effect? And maybe we we're gonna uh, we we're gonna ask this later. So maybe I'd be jumping yeah. the gun right now, but the effect on the players. Um, so, you know, we know what the GM wants to do. We know what the owner wants to do. You know, they want to get that number one pick. However, these are athletes, these are competitors, these are people that are either looking for, you know, the next payday, maybe their, their contract is up next year, or maybe they're just trying to, you know, have a winning attitude around the locker room. How, what kind of psychological effects did that that have? I mean, that you came in contact with, with the players and how do they buy into this process? Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think, you know, it depends on the player. Um, you know, if you talk to veterans, you know, let, let's step away from Philly because I really do think the reason why I wrote the book, obviously Sam Hinkie and, and Philadelphia, they were the poster child, but you had Rob Hennigan leave Oklahoma City who, you know, tanked and got KD, Russ, and Harden three straight years and make the finals. You know, the Magic thought he'd be the guy to, to rebuild them from that Dwight Howard era. And, he got hired a whole year before Sam Hankey. And Ryan McDonough did it in Phoenix. And like I mentioned, Boston did it, you know, the same night that, that Sam Hankey traded Drew Holiday. So you look at Boston, like the Rajon Rondos and the Jeff Greens and the Brandon Basses, like those veterans, they yeah. don't want to be there. They were playing every single night trying to audition for all 29 other teams to try to get traded and try to get to their, their next opportunity so they can get paid or get in a winning environment. But you look at the bottom of the barrel – the 10-day contract type of guys, the, the second-round pick type of guys who, you know, necessarily wouldn't play in, in, a, in a, a typical, you know, normal situation where, you know, a lot of rookies, if you're not a top-10 pick, get to wait your turn. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Philly obviously ran through, you know, 30 guys in, in a couple seasons, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's one thing that, get, that that's um, you know, something that gets lost, that Sam Hinkie in, in this, you know, a, a egregious, to, in a lot of people's minds, you know, this this turnstile of the roster he had, he gave a lot of people opportunities, Tim Frazier and TJ McConnell and Robert Covington and Jeremy Grant to, like, actually get on the court and develop that wouldn't happen in a lot of other situations. So I think if, if you, it depends on who you ask. But if you ask a player like, you know, Thad Young or Spencer Hawes or, you know, J.J. Redick was dying to get out of Orlando. He's been on record about that. Like, they, yeah. they're not so kind about those situations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the veterans aren't, aren't so happy to be in that situation because uh, year by year, their time in the league is ticking away. And they certainly don't yeah. want to waste it on a team uh, with a GM that, that could care less. Um, there's been some changes. Uh, you know, we have the play-in game now, and there's been some changes to try and address 
the tanking. How do you feel those are working? And is there anything that you could see in the future maybe to continue to address that problem? Yeah. I mean, the, the title of the book is how this, the, the subtitle is how this tanking era changed the league forever. And I, I do think the lottery reform is absolutely part of the, the, those, you know, irreparable changes. Um, irreparable, excuse me. Um, it's late on the East Coast. And I ran a trial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a little late. There we go. But, um, you know, I think the lottery reform is definitely part of it. I think, you know, it's more conceptually had more impact, I think, in just the way we think about team building. But I, I don't think the rule changes or, or the plan tournament, you know, we saw the, we saw the Wizards, you know, compete for that eight seed. And we saw Sacramento make a little bit of a last, the second push. But OKC and Orlando and Houston and Detroit, they were doing tanking, you know, way more egregiously than <laughs> sending Al Horford home for half the year. And John Wall is just sitting fat cat courtside while Kevin Porter Jr. just takes his job. Like Sam Hinkie was never doing that. And I right. think a couple of factors, you know, the COVID season where there weren't a lot of fans in the stands anyway. So rival owners couldn't complain that that team was coming in and they were losing gate money. But also I just think – the league, it, it was a storyline then. Like part of the reason, maybe maybe you guys want to ask this later. Part of the reason Sam ultimately got pushed out of Philadelphia was because of all the blowback and that 15-16 team that was marching towards potentially being the worst team ever. They were stealing national headlines from the Golden State team that literally were was the best was the best team. Yeah, and, right. and the league and ESPN like they, they just weren't happy about that. The fact that it's happening now, but no one's talking about it, and it's like a cute story that OKC has 17 first round picks. It's not an issue for the league, but if, if it were to pop up again and start being the leading storyline, maybe we would see another, you know, outcry for lottery reform or something like that. If, there, if there's anything that can be done. Well, you know, I want to ask you about the Lakers. Let's get into this, D'Angelo Russell. Cause I know you, you yeah. in the book too. And, you know, and I, and I saw what you said that he said that Brian, Byron Scott is a great guy, but he's a horrible coach. Yeah. How does he have that right to say that? I mean, uh, um, I mean, we can see what you talk about. Well, but, we're not well, saying we disagree. No, I'm not saying we disagree. I'm not saying I'm disagree with that statement, but I'm saying that he was—he's a rookie, you yeah. know. So how does he know like that? Byron Scott is a horrible coach, you know. It, yeah. I mean, we we watched the D'Angelo Russell saga. We watched his attitude, his immaturity inside him. Yeah. Maybe you know, maybe the reason why he got benched because we didn't trust him at the end of the games. Right. Kobe was on that team also, so um, you know, I, I took offense that he felt that he had an authority on the caliber of Byron Scott. At, Byron Scott as a coach. That's just my opinion. I well, I'll say this: it's a very fair point. But the counterpoint is, one, I'm a journalist, and when a player says that on the record, you know, it's kind of fair game to include. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Second of all, all, he said this to me last January. I took a trip down to Philly when he was still with the Warriors, um, and it was right after Kobe had died, unfortunately, obviously, and um, he didn't want to talk at pregame shoot-around. It was like the day before, right after his death, and and pregame he didn't want to talk. He was like, come, come get me after the game. And I just stood, I just staked out his locker and he was like literally getting undressed, heading into the shower to the point where I, and I was getting my questions to the point where he was like, do you want to go follow me in there, bro? Um, <laughs> when he said the box, no, yeah. When, uh, so when he did say the Byron thing, he said, you know, I don't want this to become a whole big thing, but like, 
per, looking back on it with my perspective to this day, I still think he treated me unfairly, especially being that I think those those immaturity concerns were obviously they bore out to fruition with the whole uh, Swaggy P situation. Yeah, they followed him throughout, not just you know that season, but it was like top of mind in all the from Minnesota picking one, the Lakers picking two, Philly picking three. You know, any team eval again when you're a draft prospect, that means like when you're a legitimate first round prospect. That means probably like 250 people from media to team personnel are doing background work like on you as a person, let alone as a player. So I think that like also kind of got in his head that like everyone knew he was immature, right? Like that was a concern around the entire league. And I think him heading into that Los Angeles situation, that didn't necessarily help. And I think he he would he, he would say he was a childish, immature kid back during that time period, but I still don't think he thinks that excuses how Byron Scott treated him. Yeah, well, mm. Scott's extremely hard. Now, now you brought up draft picks and so forth, and and you had a, a interesting story that involved uh, Dante Exum and Palinka. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love for you to tell that story because that, that was excellent. Of course, Palinka's our general manager now, so uh, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of interested how often this happens. But but go ahead and and, and tell your story. You're best at that. It doesn't. It doesn't happen very often. I, I think you know. We know nowadays that top prospects very rarely work out one, against anybody. Usually, it's the, the infamous one on zero against the chair, that type of stuff. But um, Dante Exum in that 2014 draft, which as we haven't really talked about this, that's also a reason why this tanking era, you know, became such a thing. That the 2014 class was considered to be at the time the next best class since 2003, which had LeBron and Melo and Wade and Bosch that everyone remembers. You know, legitimate, all of those guys were legitimate franchise-changing talents. So Dante Exum was considered to be part of that top seven, but he was the international man of mystery that no one had seen. Like, he really had only played, like, U19 ball. And it was, like, two years before um, that draft even happened. He was, like, working out with some private shooting coach in Anaheim for, like, four months. Nobody knew, like, who he was. So Philly being Philly and Sam Hinkie being Sam Hinkie, they worked out like 150 prospects every draft, which was like three times more than anybody else. And they liked a couple of those guards, and they, and they came up with a list, and they handed it to Rob Palenka, who was representing Dante Exum, and said, pick any one of these guys, but you got to go one-on-one against them because we need a barometer of him. Every, most of these guys, we, we've seen them in college. You know, That's what scouts love about the, the one-and-done rules, that they get to see these talented players up against – you know." next year instead of going to some random high school gym on a Thursday night and not knowing who's going to be on the other side of the floor. So to wrap this up, Rob Palinka picks Tim Frazier, a Penn State, you know, undrafted point guard who was considered to be a second round undrafted type guy, like not somebody who should have given Dante X some problems. And the Sixers had a real Dante connection through Brett Brown. Brett Brown's coached Dante's dad, Cecil. So there was a lot of pressure to take Dante at number three, where they did ultimately take Joel Embiid. And I really do think from the conversations I had, a big reason why I took Embiid was because Dante Exum got destroyed by Tim Frazier one-on-one. This little pesky six-foot guard who beat the crap out of this six-foot-six, gangly, strong kid. Looked like a senior, you know, beating up on a freshman on his first day of practice. And, you know, six or Personnel walked out of the gym that day saying they're not just they weren't just going to take not take Exum at three. I think when they had the tenth pick, Exum was never going to fall that low. I think they wouldn't have even taken him at ten. That's how bad he was in that workout. <laughs> nice. So I was going to ask you a question. Um, so when we we talk about the strategy of tanking, um, 
do GMs look uh, for uh, fit versus BPA or best player available? Like, how did we go in? Do you just get a bunch of lengthy dudes and, like, just hopefully one of them stick? Or you're like, I'm taking, but I do, at the end of the day, want to create a nice starting five. So if I got, you know, the best point guard of the draft, I'm going to take him, number one, or, you know, the biggest big man. I mean, we were talking about Embiid. Embiid, actually, you know, he – could have went number one if he didn't get hurt. So the fact that he fell to them at three, even though you were saying that it was kind of like between him and maybe Dante Exum, it was like, but Embiid clearly to me at that draft, I mean, especially in that year when he was at Kansas, was really the best player in college basketball, and he got hurt. And so a lot of people were shied away away from him because of the injury. Um, But when you think think about tanking, is it more fit or is it more uh, best player available? So I think this is, again, a case-by-case situation. And, you know, the book, I, I really set out to kind of show a bunch of different case studies that were happening at the same time where the, the Sixers were, you know, the most extreme version. And Orlando was, you know, the small market trading away their their superstar who gave them, you know, a trade request, which happens a lot, obviously, nowadays. The Celtics were the contender rebuilding. The Lakers were the contender on the opposite side who refused to rebuild, right? They were just – Doubling down on Kobe, hopefully mm-hmm. year after year after year they they, they get back into free agency and get somebody. So I think you know the the most standard tank is what Atlanta did recently, or what the Celtics did, where they didn't get the guy in that one year, but they bottomed out one year, they got a contributing piece, and they got back to the playoffs and kept adding to it. But the the real hope is what is the I'll call it the Atlanta model. It's kind of the Thunder model. It's Whatever you go and tank, you get your guy, right? You get your star, and the next year, you know, you're lowering the lottery. You get a contributing piece. You keep making smart moves, and then you the goal is to make the playoffs by year three, and you just keep building it from there and there and there. I, I think you know nowadays what we're seeing with OKC right now, what we're seeing with the process, what we're seeing with you know other teams that are just kind of stuck at the bottom of the barrel, that there is benefits to going into that top tier year after year after year. Because what if the guy you get isn't the guy, right? What if you draft Nerlens Noel and Michael Carter-Williams, Angelo Okafor, but you still get Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, you know, all the Ben Simmons stuff aside. Oh, we're getting there. Right, that's what I'm going to ask you about. (laughs) You can miss on three three out of five and still come up with two All-Stars. That's like a pretty great Yeah. So I think that strategy has become – far more popularized and supported around the league than it was, you know, a decade ago. Yeah. So what, what, what is the feeling over in Philly now? Because, you know, Ben Simmons, all of a sudden now they want to get rid of this guy. Like, you know, we knew he couldn't shoot. <laughs> we knew everything about him. Uh, they were happy to decide to have him as a one, two punch with Embiid. And then, you know, now the series is over. Oh, well, yeah. this didn't work. This was the first time that they really were, Considered to be odds makers had them what the top five is possibly winning the championship. Yeah, so um, they did pretty well. Why are we why are they giving up on Ben Simmons right now when they knew what he was <laughs> a couple of years ago, a couple of seasons yeah. ago? I think you know the, the did the process work and where this team has been the last five years to me is so convoluted, being that. Obviously, Sam Hankey didn't get an opportunity to, to finish out his process and, and to actually build it back up. I mean, it is very, very easy to tear down an NBA roster, right? Like, mm-hmm. the four of us could come to power right now in any single market. We could trade away the best players 
and we can make that team the worst team in the league pretty quickly, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. It's, hard, it's hard to build it back up, and I think, you know, Brian Colangelo's staff came in with that number one pick, and he was the guy they had to take. Like, I, I remember the, the sense around that organization then was, like, this is the piece. He's LeBron 2.0, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I think I think – Around the NBA, it is pretty widespread. Denver gets accused of it a lot, where teams fall in love with the guys they drafted and, and value those guys probably a little bit too much sometimes and hold on to them a little bit too long. And I think there's also a lot of that is the fear that this guy that you loved and, and has been following since he was 17 and we're, we're, we're you know kind of selling him to ownership. If you trade him and he goes off somewhere else, you know, you're going to lose, potentially lose your job. So yeah. I think that that plays a factor in it. But I think also, you know, for a while, Joel Embiid was just kind of like this budding all-star and this fun story. And, oh, look at this guy. Like, it's, a, it's an amazing story that he's come back. And now I think this, the switch has kind of flipped where this guy's a legitimate MVP candidate and probably, you know, a, a bona fide, like, unquestioned top 10 player in the league with what he does on both sides of the ball. Like, the time is now to maximize him as he's entering his prime and if Ben's not the guy he's, he's had a lot of evidence now in the playoffs and uh, of just not being able to be a half court offensive threat. So especially with a big man who, you know, takes up so much oxygen in the half court, you need somebody who can be more slippery and creative on the perimeter to get to create opportunities for himself and and other people. And there's all like, at a certain point, like you got to switch your thinking from building a roster for 82 games to building a roster for 16 games. And I think at this point, like the evidence is just clear that at this, at this juncture, Ben Simmons is not capable of, of providing, you know, the juice that they need at that spot for the money he's being paid right now. I was, you know, it is funny that you say that because I remember when Ben Simmons um, was, was uh, drafted and he had that crazy summer league. So he killed it in summer league. I mean, and 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 it was funny because like all the things that we were saying that he couldn't do, he did in the summer league. His jumpers was wet. You know, he's knocking down threes, he's taking it to the rack, he's making all these nice passes. And it's like, okay, yes, it's we're we're happy. We got the guy that we wanted. Like then, right. He looked there you go. He looked like a run. And then he got hurt, and it was almost like Embiid was like, I'm about to let y'all know exactly who I am right now. I'm going to take this opportunity right now to snatch the mantle to be the number one guy in Philly. And he balled out and he did solidify himself as that person. Yeah. And then when Ben Simmons came back, you were like, hopefully, hopefully you can go ahead and mesh him with that. Kind of like you had him be the, the compliment to that. And like you said earlier, it just doesn't seem like he has had that point, um, has that you know ability to 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 mesh with him um a jumper would help um i think i think i saw an interview with kobe bryant where he said basically first thing he had to do was get a jumper because he did not want to he said it would be it would suck for a player to go along in his career and look back and have regrets like if i would have had a jumper how that would have opened up my game and the fact that that's all he pretty much needs to be able to use those other skills and i think that philadelphia at this juncture is saying that he is not there yet and we don't want to wait anymore but, Listen, i was totally clear on one thing daryl Morey has not told me this personally but i've heard it time and again from people around the league that daryl also has never been 
quite a high fan of Ben. I think that was the reason why he was very quickly thrown into James Harden trade discussions in the fall. With that in mind, you know, I, I, I just really, I'd be very surprised if he's on that roster starting opening day next year. Do you think they'll get uh, value? I think so. I, I think NBA Twitter has a really great way of just setting the tone of what, you know, someone's contract value is or whatever. And they're just like, yep, this is what it is. And like the guy's value isn't zero because he, because of even everything we've just said, like he fit, yeah. was, he was the number two runner up at defensive player of the year. Yeah. He's an incredible rebounder when he wants to be, he's an incredible passer. He's one of the most dangerous players in transition. Like he's only 24 years old, three times right. already. It's almost yeah. for that. There's multiple teams I know who are like, who are hitting me up asking like, Hey, what do you think it's going to take to get Ben Simmons? Like, there's he's going to get his, there's going to be a line of people looking to trade for that guy. But isn't there like a measurement of coaching? You know, sometimes like in if you take the analogy of like football, for example, if you have a running quarterback versus a pocket quarterback, you you create an offense around what their strengths are. Um, you know, like I said, they knew what Ben Simmons was. They when he even when he came in, they were when he shot like a three pointer. Everybody was like, "Hey, he made it!" You know, Gray was like, "Okay, he might be able to get in the shoot." Maybe it's an offense thing versus. I'm just playing double advocate here yeah. versus <laughs> versus um, you know just get rid of this guy. I just think that's unfair because you know I can't shoot and well, you know it sounds like they no longer trust the process. Yeah, the <laughs> thing with football, with basketball compared to the NFL is, I mean, the NBA is a superstar league, right? These guys right. are out there wearing, you know, sleeveless shorts or sleeveless shirts and shorts, and they you can see their face and their personality, tattoos and smiles. Like these guys are bigger than bigger than the game. They're bigger than a lot of the organizations and the Sixers, you know, we talk to anybody around the league who's got any type of morsel of information about that situation. Like they've never been able to have like a development program with Ben. Like he's been a guy who's decided to work out with his brother. There was a stretch where his brother was coming in and they'd work, they'd warm up together pregame. And I remember one time, I think it was even when I went down there to interview D'Angelo before he walked in the shower, that like they were doing this whole elaborate pregame warm up and it was all jumpers and shots and whatever that Ben never even looked to do in the game. Like there, there's all, I remember talking to an assistant coach one time who said, you know, it's kind of frustrating that he's always posting on Instagram going to the gym at night with his dogs and whatnot. It's like cute for the gram, but like he's only dunking. Like he's never actually in the gym working on the skill set that we want to work with him on. He's doing it with these other guys that he wants to do. So I, th I think that's also been, you know, you can't really draw up an offense to maximize your player when, you know, he's not taking the steps necessary to, to grow himself. Absolutely. Now, um, you're also you don't just report on the Sixers, you report on NBA. Uh, you actually had a tweet, I believe, today about the Hawks, correct? And uh, some updates there. And of course, Nate McMillan, you want to just fill us in a little bit about that? Yeah, I, I write a reported column for Bleach Report every week. I make about, you know, 10, 15 calls every week to you know people I know and collect some stuff and workshop with my editor what to write about. And I just thought it was really interesting how the Hawks entered this season with like a make or break. We got to make the playoffs or else that front office was, was definitely out. Lloyd Pierce was definitely going to be out. I mean, obviously Lloyd did lose his job, and, but when he did, they were 14 and 20 and, you know, they were contentious trade talks, which are not trade talks, um, contract talks with John Collins trying to find his extension 
for the season. Like there was a moment this year where like Atlanta looked like it was about to get blown up. And you know, now that team made the conference finals. They were a couple games away from making the whole damn thing. And Nate McMillan was not their long-term option to be a head coach. He was someone they thought would just be an interim and they'd probably bring in, you know, another younger name or a guy that they liked. But Nate McMillan turned himself into one of the highest paid coaches in the league, from what I've heard. And, you know, now they might have to pay John Collins money they don't think he's worth. And you know, Kevin Herter is up for an early extension this summer, too. And he's going to have to get paid, too, right before you know, DeAndre Hunter has to get paid. And Cam Reddish might, you know, Cam Reddish, you talk to people around the league, they, they thought they were going to be able to get him for, like, a second-round pick this summer. And now that's not going to happen. Like, mm-hmm. it's pretty amazing how, you know, a couple of games just changes the entire calculus of payroll of a franchise for, you know, half a decade at this point. Like, they locked in Nate McMillan for four years. And he was someone that... I think even as of two months ago, they did not think he need, might. There was a chance they didn't think he was even going to be there this next year. Yeah, but they haven't even made uh, Nate made a uh, permanent coach yet. They still have an interim, right? They haven't even signed him. Well, they did it. Um, I think it was a week last Monday. Okay, yeah. correct. Yeah, I mean, I think he definitely deserved that. Yeah, you know, and I was going to say something, uh, Jake. You you alluded to something um, uh, just right now about, and I think I've. So I heard you say this in another interview about the side effects of, uh, of tanking yeah. uh, and how like you get to a point where, um, you know, you tank and then you get all these assets and these are nice, you know, number one draft picked high top five, top six kind of players. And then you get up to that point where now you got to pay these guys yeah. and you got to pay them. And you're like, well, I don't want to just lose them. But I don't want to go ahead and pay him, you know, the five year, one hundred and forty million yeah. right now um, because we're there. And so it's like that's got to be a del- delicate balance um, that GMs have to, you know, navigate because of the fact that, you know, it's all snap. I didn't want him to play that well <laughs> or, or or I want him to play better, but I don't want to pay him all star money because I don't want the dreaded P word, which is potential. I yeah. don't want to have to pay for his potential that, you know, yeah. he's only 19. He's a four, you know, four years in the league. Now he's 23. He's entering his quote unquote prime. Do I go ahead and now pay for that? And hopefully he makes it. Or is like, do I trade him a year earlier and try to get some kind of assets back for him? So, you know, I, I thought that was a very interesting point that you made, you know, because, you know, <laughs> we see it a lot of times, you know, these guys are getting paid, whether that's like Tobias Harris and, you know, players like, you know, like that. For, for a good season. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, no one's, no one around the league feels bad for the Hawks, right? Like, it's a good <laughs> you have, but it is, it is thorny. You mentioned, you mentioned Tobias, like Orlando, I think their rebuild that was happening at the same time. I think the reason why they didn't get back to the levels that, that Philly has reached and Boston's reached and, other teams, I, I think the, the Rob Hennigan and his staff, I think they had some hubris. Like the Thunder drafted KD, Russ, and Harden three straight years in a row. And I think those guys benefited from being around each other because talk to anybody around that situation. Like it sounds like they were uniquely hardwired. Like the top dogs in the league, they want to go against the other top dogs, right? Like that's why we see KD and LeBron training against each other in the summer. Like these guys just are competitive, just ridiculous freak type of you know chemical wiring dudes and that's a rare thing like there's a rare group of guys who are really considered to be top 15 top 20 type like just i'm gonna i'm gonna like eat you to get to the title right and the magic just thought they could just do the same thing they just draft these long athletes and put them all together and they didn't realize that 
it takes us a unique type of guy to thrive in that environment. But also, if they aren't those guys, when you pay that first guy, everyone else below them, like if you draft two first-round picks in 2013 and two in 2014 and one in 2015, that's five guys you got to pay in a three-year span that are potentially up for major, major money. And once the first get paid, the NBA is a business, way more than it's a sport. And every individual actor from the agents to the coaches to the players, the executives, they're all looking for job security and more money. So the second you give that carrot to one of them, you know, it starts yeah. to get more effect. And, you know, pay- paying guys before they've won in the playoffs is something that no executive wants to do. And, you know, it's going to pop up with Larry Markkinen contract negotiations and Zach Levine stuff in Chicago and Lonzo Ball in New Orleans. Like, it just had. It's 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 a it's you want to see someone preferably in a postseason environment, just like the whole Ben Simmons conversation before you give that guy that money. But a lot of times, if you tank, you're not good enough to do it. Absolutely. Now, uh, here at the Profanity Nation, we stream live to the Los Angeles Lakers fan club room in the Clubhouse app. Uh, they have over 8,000 members, so we're actually streaming there live right now. Uh, would you be okay? Yeah, Zach. Would you be okay if we uh, just see if they have any questions for you really quick yeah. before we let you go? All right, let's see. Does uh, Clubhouse have any questions? Uh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, you go know ahead, link your mic. If you have any questions. In the meantime, while we're getting them ready, I have one last question for you in regards to Philly. Yeah. Um, Trust the process. Is the process all or nothing? When when we look back 20 years, 25 years from now, will it have been they didn't win a title, it didn't work, or will it have been they got Embiid, they made some noise, and it worked? So I, I think the goal of that, you know, audacious strip it down, do it year after year strategy was to create a title window for years, for a decade, and something like the Spurs. And I think when you really boil it down, like the smartest people in the NBA, Daryl Morey's the Sam Presti's, they'll tell you like the best teams going into the season only have like a 5% chance of winning the title. I mean, look at this year, right? More than ever, everyone's talking about injuries and luck and all that type of stuff. There's so many external factors that stand in the way of you being the last team standing that the goal I really think is not really to win a title. It's just to put yourself in that conversation, to put yourself, not even the conversation, because this isn't even narrative based, but to actually give yourself a legitimate chance to knock down that door. It's it's just. It's relevant. Yeah. Relevant. Exactly. And they're there, right? Like they've been here for a while. They finally got the one seed right now. Joel Embiid's only 27. Like they're healthy. They're going to be, they're going to be knocking down this door for the next couple of years. So you look back in five years and they've been at like one of the leading contenders in the East since, you know, 2018, they they have a seven, eight year run of being one of the teams that have a shot every year to come out of the East. I think that's successful coming from being, you know, a decade was being the eight seed. I think that was, that's a, you know, a a smashing success. Excellent. You know, I just want to say like, I know we're, we're talking uh, about Philly a lot. So (laughs) how, how much does, Jimmy Butler's departure really hurts the process because I thought for when I'm looking at the playoffs and I'm looking at that, that, that ingredient, that, that grit, that something that they're missing. I think that X factor, I think he provided that. And especially, I mean, I don't, are you from Philly? Right. I'm thinking you're from, so, you know, you know, the grit that he looked like Philly. He looked like he wore that or he loved playing for Philly. He loved that, like, grind. bring your, that, that grind, bring your lunch pail to work. Let's grind it. Like, look at me holding, holding people accountable. And it worked. 
he had these soft guys around him. He's like, let me just whip these guys into shape and bring them along with me. And you saw that when he was in the playoffs where he actually was taking over in the fourth quarter because no one else was trying to step up with him. I, I, even though they have, like, they, you know, the Kawhi shot, you know, you're looking back at that, and then you're looking at right now, how does him, his departure, I thought it was – because they're going to they're gonna look like they're going to um, come out of it. They're going to get better. But I think they were there, and they didn't know how close they were when he was on the team. Yeah, I mean, there's – there's a lot of people with that organization to this day who say if the Kawhi shot didn't go in, like we'll be, able yeah. to, you know, but the other interesting factor is, you know, I don't have this like completely a hundred percent confirmed from the people in the room, but it's pretty well known around the league that, that Philly basically chose Ben Simmons over, over Jimmy Butler. Oh. When, when you think about it in that context and where they are now, mm. that's a pretty big mistake. Yeah. Oh, that note. Yeah. Oh, that note. Clubhouse. Uh, crispy. Let's go. Uh, All right, we're gonna go to Clubhouse for a Q and A. Here we go. Did you have a Did you have a question for um, Jake? Yeah. Um, I do actually. Thanks, guys. Nice to meet you, Jake. Um, I'm just curious, man, because I'm listening to you guys speak, and I want to know, like, you know, in your opinion, who do you think would be like the next group of you know elite players? You know, after LeBron exit out the NBA, and um, you know, KD his his career is coming to an end as well. If you ask me, within the next you know five to ten years, so yeah. who do you think is you know that those next group of elite athletes? Well, obviously, Luca and Trey are kind of spearheading this youth movement right now. But I'm also a huge, huge fan of Anthony Edwards. I know. Uh, oh yeah. Lamelo got all the rookie of the year attention, and there's still people. I mean, I think most people, are, like most, I think most NBA fans right now think Lamelo Ball is better than Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards is insane. Like this kid, especially with Chris Finch, who's like a really, really noted offensive mind. Like I think, I mean, the dude just started scoring like 40 like regularly as a rookie, and they had no expectations. Like I think that team could sneak up on people next year, even to be like a playing tournament type team. I mean. Donovan Mitchell's obviously here. Tatum's obviously here. Um, but Edwards is the one, I think, who he has a personality, too. Like, like Trey kind of took over these playoffs being that villain and wearing that black hat. And Anthony Edwards just has this, like, I'm, the, I'm that dude, like, energy off of him that once he gets to a bigger stage, I think the country and the world's going to fall in love with that kid. He's a, he's a star and a true stud. Gets a chance. Anyone else over there? Anybody else in the clubhouse have another question? Yeah, we're getting tight. Yeah. Okay. okay. All right, cool. Great. Hey, I, I have a question for you. I mean, I knew you were. You were uh, almost done, Jake. Yeah, we're almost done. Sorry, Jake. Hey, so, you know, you're Breacher Report. You hear a whole lot of rumors. You know, we're Laker fans. Um, is Damon Lillard coming? What, what's going on? <laughs> Uh, anybody else that's coming over here? What, what, what do you What do you hear? You got any insight on that? <laughs> so I gotta ask. I gotta ask. LeBron certainly wants Dame to come to LA. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, we saw that. Anyone who knows anything would re- would definitely understand. It ain't a coincidence that Dame's in Space Jam. It ain't a coincidence <laughs> that LeBron picks him to be on his All Star team every time. Yeah. <laughs> and they actually was at. I'm sorry to interrupt you. They were at the Sparks game all together too. Yep. Yeah. I think Dame likes those guys. I think Dame – I don't want to speak for Dame, but I think, you know, being in Portland and part of his frustration right now is, you know, he's not, like, considered to be on that level with those guys. So I think 
he, I think he's kind of liking the attention LeBron's giving him. But all that being said, A, the Lakers don't have enough to get him. At out. all. <laughs> Dame is not going anywhere right now. I mean, think about the Bradley Beal situation eight months ago, right? Like everyone and their mother was talking about who's getting Bradley Beal. When's Bradley Beal putting out a trade request? And they kept saying all along, Bradley Beal has not requested a trade, doesn't want to go anywhere. And like no one, even, no one's even talking about that anymore. Everyone's talking about Dame. Dame's situation is obviously a little bit different. Like he's voiced his frustration, but his frustration that he's used is to try, so far has been to exact his influence, at least tried to on the coaching search and to put pressure on 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 Neil O'Shea to actually get him better supporting players. He has not requested a trade. I don't think he's going to anytime soon. And if he does. The Lakers don't have enough assets. Like, <laughs> not getting not somebody to take a pay cut. The Lakers' best option right now, and they they've been trying to trade Kyle Kuzma for like two years at this point. Yeah, right. their best option right now is to find someone who really likes Dennis Schroeder. I've heard Chicago, I've heard New York, there's other teams that are, are supposedly interested too. Maybe they can get something back that regard. I know they talked about something with with Schroeder for Kyle Lowry um, back at the trade deadline. Maybe there's a sign trade opportunity. Um, there, but that would obviously require all three parties to be involved and to be on board. Um, I, I think the Lakers are trying to find that third star, like, or, or at least the, the third creator. That was why they brought Schroeder in the first place. That was why they wanted to go after Kawhi. We saw it this year, right? When Anthony Davis goes down, when LeBron gets hurt, it's a thin team behind those guys. They need, you know, one one more guy who can who can be a pull at offense. So I, I think they realize Dennis is not the guy. I think Dennis realized he doesn't want to be second fiddle to LeBron anyway. Um, so I think I think that he's their chip to get some, you know, nebulous third player, whoever it's going to be. But it, it ain't going to be Dame. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe Schroeder really – I mean, he really went and asked for $100 million after his performance. I'm like, what are you, what are you doing, dude? Like, I think he's going to get it. He might get I was going to say. I was going to say. <laughs> there's, there's not from the Lakers, there. though, right? Probably not from the Lakers. Well, signing. If he gets it from if he gets it from the Lakers, that means that the Lakers had no better options, and he didn't really have you know an option that would have paid him much more that would have put him on a stage to actually compete in the postseason. Exactly. Okay, so uh, we end every episode of the Profanity Nation here with a segment we called Money Mike's Out of Bounds. You've met Money Mike. You know, he has some outlandish questions. So what he's going to do is he's going to go ahead and let us know a situation. He's going to let us know what he thinks about it. And all we have to say is, is he inbounds or out of bounds? Money Mike. All right. So, look, you know, we've been talking about a whole lot of NBA, but I'm going to do WNBA this time. Right. Okay. So we all know NECA didn't make the. Um, USA team. She has dual citizenship, and she's on a provisional to be a, a representing Nigeria. Nigeria. And she has opportunity to do that with her sisters. Am I the bounds for them? Because I think that she should go. Because if US don't want me, cool. I don't want y'all. I'm gonna go to Nigeria, and I'm gonna try my best to blow up the US. Hey, with my sisters. Am I the bounds to say that that she should team up with the other three sisters and try to blow up USA? You're up, Jake. I think you're in bounds. I mean, there, 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 there are American guys who play a couple years in some some country in Europe, and they become they get citizenship and they play for that team just for like to get on the Olympic stage, right? If family's involved, go for it. I yeah, agree. Go. Cool. I agree. What do you think? I like, think no. I think you're inbounds. Um, yeah, you're in because I mean, like like the United States decided to not put her on the team. So I mean, either you don't play at all, or you play for Nigeria. She didn't shun. USA to go play right, for Nigeria. Right. They chose they not chose to, not. so she's yeah. clear to do and, whatever she'd like. You know, Absolutely. it's funny yeah. that we're saying that because you know there's a whole like the BAM 
uh, you know, Bam <laughs> out of you, you know that they played against the Nigeria last. They lost, yep. and everyone's like, you know, you should stay. You should have played for the motherland. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, um, it's kind of like if if I'm going to be, if I can make the United States basketball team. I'm gonna play for the United States. Well, it's can. just more prestigious. I mean, you just got. Yeah, but don't you want to blow them up though? And that wouldn't at be at this mad. point now. Yeah, yes. this I mean, NECA, Yes, definitely. Yeah, Go yeah, for absolutely. It. Okay. Let me ask Clubhouse. Hold on, hold on. Uh oh, really uh, quick, really hey, quick. Hey, Clubhouse, Chris, like one you, got, you got my back. You got my back on this. Man, Mike, you completely unbounced, man. Um, if she wanted to go play for China, she can play for China. Exactly. <laughs> they did her dirty. Yep. Now she got a fire under her butt, so she should go out there and um, perform pretty well. She's hey, earned it. She's that, earned that, right? Is that 100% too much? You got 100%. Two weeks in a row? You need, you need to make some you need, you hey. better questions, man. Yeah. All right. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, Marco Nunez, as always, for the five minute injury wrap up. But special thank you to Jake Fisher, of course. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, definitely go out. You, this book is available on Amazon. You can get it. Uh, you can actually buy the hard copy paperback or on Audible. You can uh, listen to the book in your car. It's awesome. If you love basketball, you're going to love these stories. And like I said, the details the I mean, the it, 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 what color the chair was that Sam was sitting on when he made that decision. I mean, it's almost that detailed. It's amazing. Uh, Jake, will you please let our listeners and our followers know the best way that they can keep up and, and uh, keep up with your news and updates? Yeah. I, like I said, I write it once a week for Bleach Report. Um, got some other stuff in the can cooking. So please stay tuned on my Twitter at Jake L. Fisher, F-I-S-H-E-R. And then you can get the book on Amazon, bookshop.org if you want to support a local bookseller. Barnes & Noble, my publisher, Triumph. I have a partnership with this uh, com- watch company called La Terrain, T-O-U-R-A-N-E. With promo code Built to Lose, you get a free book with a watch purchase. That's another opportunity. Nice. But yeah, the storytelling and the new info I spent three years working on this thing. So if you do love basketball, if you love rumors, if you're on NBA Twitter, you're going to love it. So I really appreciate the support and, and appreciate you guys you know, giving me the, another platform to talk about it. Thank you so much. Oh, no, awesome so, stuff, thank Jake. You. Thank, thank you. you so much for also, joining us. Also, he sent one to us, so we're going to be able right. to give that away in the next coming weeks. We will be yeah. giving away a book on one of our shows. That's for sure. Clubhouse knows. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we're getting two books. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> as you guys, Clubhouse, you know, we offer, we do the giveaways. Uh, so we'll have that arranged and we'll go ahead and we'll tag Jake so you know when that's happening, Jake. Thank you so much. We'll be sure to keep up with you online and keep up with your news. We'll be waiting. For sure. Thank you guys. Thank, Thank you very much. much. Thank you. All right, great. I mean, his book was amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really yeah. amazing. And, uh, uh, I, I'm very curious and very interested to see the next. The next book is he's not going to stop there. No, right. He's yeah. not going to stop there. That's it's a good book because it gives you the perspective of the, you know, GM and the president versus the players because the players have nothing to do with the tanking. They no, all this is all win. behind the scenes. Yeah. And this is all behind the yeah, scenes yeah. stuff that, that affects them. And you can and you can see or feel some tension with some players when they realize that they're on a they're on a team that that um that trying to win right now. Right. Exactly. You know? and, and, and only we only thought the Clippers were like that. And, but, uh, and since it's the off season for the NBA, uh, for most of the teams, they can head on by down in Chatsworth, California, yeah. if they wanted to, and they can head on over to pure life alternative wellness center yeah. and get some products to chill out, yes. hang out, relax, yes. uh, have some fun or whatever you want to do. It's your choice. Pure life wellness alternative center is the spot to go. You can find them online. Pure life wellness alternative center. Be yes, sure to support yes. them.
them because they're one of our sponsors. Also, we have an amazing event coming up uh, this Friday. We it's have happening. it's happening. We are hosting a Space Jam movie premiere. This is to benefit underprivileged children in the Los Angeles area. Few more tickets left. Few more tickets left, but folks, we are bringing kids to the movies. This is going to be great. We have sponsors helping us with this. The Los Angeles Lakers have helped sponsor. We have State Farm, Tran Tran. We have Jesse Brown with Kelly Williams, Brian Peterson, Keller Williams, Brian Peterson Art. Of course, if you don't remember, go back to just a couple episodes ago. Brian Peterson, Faces of Santa Ana, Eastside Riders. Eastside Riders is one of our main sponsors. Uh, this is an amazing event. We're going to send some kids to the movies. We're going to give them some goodies. They're going to have a good time, have a blast watching Space Jam. Be sure to support. If you can't be there, but you want to support, you just need to go to FanNationTV.com. That's FanNation, F-A-N-A-T-I-O-N-TV.com, one N, FanNationTV.com. And that's where you can donate or purchase tickets. We'd love to see you there. If you do buy tickets, go ahead and tag us on Twitter or Instagram yeah. so we know. And uh, we'll see you there. We're going to be there along with other folks. Mm -hmm. LA Live. LA Live, right across the Regal Cinemas, right? Right, Regal Cinemas, right yeah. across you from Staples Center. Right across you from Staples Center, the heart there. of LA. Lakers, if you want, you want to meet all of us, Stat we'll Pat, Simpson, Money Mike. Yeah. Oh, and one, uh, again, one of our major sponsors, of course, is the Los Angeles Lakers Fan Club Room. So let's not forget that. They yes. are one of our major sponsors Absolutely. and partners for this event. So uh, thank you to everybody, again, who joined this episode. Thank you to Jake. Thank you to Marco. Thank you to the Fan Club, Los Angeles Lakers Fan Club Room. Crispy, thank you as always. You're great. We love it. Uh, you're a big support over there on Clubhouse, and we really appreciate it. Uh, Till next week, guys, uh, Profanity Nation for Money Mike, Stat Pat, Simster. Yes, yes. We're out. We out. We out this bitch. Profanity Nation. Yeah, it's the new era of man for some old school fans with a new school brand. We got money on the mic with the plan in hand. And Stat Pat to his left, they go hand in hand. And to the right, we got Simpster. He putting it down. It's the Profanity Nation. We running the town here. Yeah. It's the Profanity Nation. Profanity Nation. The Profanity Nation is now the official podcast of the Los Angeles Lakers fan club on Clubhouse. Be sure to join over 5,000 strong and growing. Also, text Lakers to 22828 for a chance to win a free t-shirt. Again, text Lakers to 22828 for a chance to win a free t-shirt.